Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Let's all stand together and sing. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone. Higher than my sight. High above my I will trust in you alone, in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose. I will follow you. I will follow you. Light unto the world, light unto my life. I will live for you alone. For the one I see, the wing I will find. All I need. If this life I lose, I will follow you. I will follow you. We know that you are always holding tight to us and that we we just need to follow you and be right there grasping on behind. Lord, thank you so much for this day and for this chance to come to worship you, Lord. We lift everything up to you this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Extravagant 
your friendship it is intimate I feel I'm moving to the rhythm of your grace your fragrance is intoxicating in our secret place your love is extravagant spread wide in the arms of Christ is the love that covers sin no greater love have I ever known you considered me a friend Capture my heart again. Capture me, Lord. Won't you capture my heart? Capture my heart again. Capture me, Lord. Won't you capture my heart? Your love is extravagant. Your friendship. I feel I'm moving to the rhythm of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating in my secret place. Your love is extravagant. Spread wide in the arms of Christ. Consider me a friend. Spread wide in the arms of Christ is the love that covers sin. No greater love have I ever known. You considered me a friend. Capture my heart again. Capture me, Lord, won't you capture my heart? Capture my heart again. Capture me, Lord, won't you capture my heart? Capture my heart again. Capture me, Lord, won't you capture my heart? Capture me, Lord, won't you capture my heart? Your love. Extravagant. Turn and greet your neighbor, and we will not be having a children's sermon this morning, so children can stay in their places.
there is a correction. Children are invited to come forward for a moment. Good morning. If there are any older children who are going back to school this morning and maybe don't normally come down for children's sermon, you are invited to come down this morning. Um, in place of children's sermon, we're going to do a back to school blessing. So anyone going back to school is welcome to join us, or you can stay in your seat. Okay. Is everybody ready to go back to school? Is everybody excited? Yeah? Did you see my back to school table back there when you walked in this morning? We have a little gift to remind you that as you go back to school, your church family is going to be thinking about you and praying for you because sometimes it's a nervous and exciting time, right? So we're going to do a back-to-school blessing this morning. And I would like to invite anyone out in the congregation that's going back to school to stand um, and join us for this blessing. Kids, do you want to stand with me? Any teachers, faculty, staff, older kids? Would you stand to join me for this blessing? Okay, will you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for all you have given us. We thank you for creating us and filling us with good things, for giving us your son Jesus to show us the way to you. Bless these students, teachers, and support staff as they begin this new school year. Help them in all they do to appreciate the goodness in themselves and to look for the good in those around them. Help them live their faith and love for you by loving those around them. Help them to see your presence always. May they turn to you in good times and in bad, and know that you are their strength. As they grow on the outside, may they grow on the inside too, in knowledge and love for you and others. Let your Holy Spirit give them the gifts of wisdom understanding and knowledge to help them learn the things you need them to know. Bless all children, students, teachers, and support staff this day, O oh God. Give them inquiring minds and discerning hearts. Give them courage to persevere in all they undertake. Give them laughter and love to share with all. Give them protection and safety as they move out of our embrace and give them sure and certain knowledge of your unfailing love. May my prayer be a blessing to everyone who it is prayed over today, and may it always be a reminder for us to keep these back-to-schoolers in our thoughts and prayers this week and throughout this school year. Amen. Okay, you may be seated, and everyone is welcome to take a pencil. If you're up here, you can go ahead and grab it now, or not. If not, you can take one before you go. Thank you. When I was in grad school, they taught us a, a word, I think I remember it right, <clears throat> anthropomorphism, which means attributing to God human physical characteristics. And I thought about that this morning when, when Kelly, Kelly, 
I thought about that this morning when Kelly's prayer, she said something about grabbing the Lord's behind. I just, <laughs> that's what I thought I heard. I don't know. Anyway, good to see everybody. Uh, glad you're here today and glad we're here to, to send off our Send off our students tomorrow uh, for a new school year as well as the teachers. Um, so anyway, good to have you here. Some folks have been gone a lot this summer with vacations, and we're glad to have you back as well. Um, if you have some concerns you want to share with us in prayer, we would invite you to do so. Our ushers have index cards, and if you raise your hand, they'll give you one. And then we ask you to uh, uh, fill, fill it in and in do so, uh, something you don't mind me repeating, and I'll be glad to share that, uh, and we all join you in prayer. <clears throat> Several important announcements. Mark your calendars. Our annual ice cream social is set for next Sunday, the 21st at 5.30 here in the Family Life Center. Uh, we hope that you'll plan to join us for this fun night of fellowship, and please let Chris or Judy Harris know if you plan to be here or plan to bring your favorite homemade ice cream or other yummy treat to share. Oh, now I know there'll be more than that. We have one uh, volunteer. We'll have more than that, I know. The ice cream uh, social will kick off our fall semester of Sunday night programs. Uh, the kids' Sunday night program uh, of Mission Kids Bible Study and Choir will be from 5.30 until 7 on Sunday evenings, and that will actually begin on the 28th of August. Um, adult Bible Studies will resume on that same date. You can preview information on upcoming studies at our Ice Cream Social or see Katie Jeter. Um, we also invite parents of rising third graders, those kids will be in third grade starting tomorrow, to please make sure that Katie Jeter has your third grader's name on her list to be presented with a Bible during Promotion Sunday on, uh, on August the 28th. So we thank you for this. Children will stay in their current Sunday school classes until after Promotion Sunday, which is on the 28th. United Methodist Men, you meet on Tuesday, August the 16th at 6.15 at Southern Times in downtown Greer. Also, those on the administrative board should have received word a couple of times this week <clears throat> that we will have a charts conference this Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And it should be very brief. Um, the Reliance Trust Company that we've had our bonds with uh, didn't give us the exact, exactly correct payoff amount as we we're refinancing. And so the resolution we passed about a month ago uh, is inaccurate, and we need to pass another one which authorizes us to borrow the correct amount. The bank had no problem. It was just, it's just a Methodist formality. So <clears throat> we remind our administrative board members of that. Are there, let's see, youth are having their back-to-school bash Six o'clock tonight, right here, right? Outside here. Now last year, teenagers, I ended up with an octopus on my mailbox. And I understand that the teenagers had very little to do with it, 
some guy with the initials of Stephen Knitt and Andy Watson, those guys, may have had more to do with it. Not Stephen? I would have thought, anyway. Uh, oh, Alex. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's a lot of fun. Of course, your parents of teenagers know what this means. It means have your hose pipe connected to spray your kid off before they come in your house. <clears throat> All right. Uh, do we have our prayer cards done? If you raise your hand, we'll share your prayer concerns. <clears throat> Did I get them all? Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, hear our prayers for this day as we join our hearts together, believing that you hear one of us when we pray, but that when two agree on anything on earth, it is done in heaven, and that your presence is here when we come together. And so here are our requests and concerns for today. We pray for your mercy and healing for a co-worker, Richard, uh, for a small cell cancer in his liver, bones, and lungs. We pray for Tucker Reeves, a two-year-old, getting ready to begin proton radiation treatment in Jacksonville. For Wade Kinnett, Doris Wright, and Neil Weiss, for healing for them. For a sister as she is searching for a job and for a brother who is in poor health. <clears throat> for Stan Christofferson as he continues to battle cancer. For a friend newly diagnosed with MS. For Carrie Neal who is in the hospital, prayer for healing there. When we want your mercy and healing for Joan Ashley and Ricky Vaughn. And we pray for a nephew who was badly burned in Afghanistan. For Alex as he goes to college and our other young people as they leave to go to college. For Jane Rhodes this week as she has some tests and treatments. For troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. Lord, these are our prayers. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray as he taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> we got a froggy this morning. <clears throat> Our scripture reading is from Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 2a, and then 29 through 32. <clears throat> I'm continuing to enjoy reading the Bible again for the first time. Um, that's a wonderful thing about the Bible. You see something new every time you read it. And um, here in the last couple of years, um, it just seems like <clears throat> ideas pop out at me that I hadn't noticed before. Paul is writing and he says, I ask then, 
Did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Irrevocable? Yeah, that's the word. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all people over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Here ends the lesson. Several years ago when I was in another congregation, I had a lawyer friend who tried to educate me on the various ways I could manage my vast wealth and estate in ways that could protect Penny and our children from any unscrupulous second husband slash stepfather who might try to con them out of the, the vast financial holdings that I had allegedly accumulated while serving as a United Methodist pastor. One of the possibilities was called a revocable or revocable living trust, which would give me continued control over everything that I, uh, the vast holdings that I had, so that I could continue to make any adjustments. But the other possibility was to establish an irrevocable, irrevocable living trust. One that meant that I would irrevocably give up control of all my possessions to my designated uh, uh, recipient, Penny, and she would have permanent control from then on. Now, Penny really liked that idea until she inventoried my vast holdings and decided that it wasn't a whole lot to worry about, and so she wouldn't worry about it. But I thought about those categories of uh, revocable and irrevocable trust when I came across Paul's words to the Romans uh, this week regarding God's call upon his people. Paul's thorough expression of his basic theology in the book of Romans would not have been complete without his wrestling with a huge first century mystery. How could it be that God's chosen people, the Israelites, could have failed to recognize their Messiah when he came to them. God had led Abraham from Ur in Mesopotamia to the land of promise and fulfilled God's promise to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the sand and the stars. When Jacob, Israel, and his 12 sons and families had gone down to Egypt for refuge during a time of famine, God still blessed them and caused their numbers to grow greatly. When they became oppressed and persecuted, God sent Moses to save them, to lead them out of slavery through the sea and the desert and to the entrance of the promised land where Joshua finished the journey. Under David's leadership, Israel had become a great nation several centuries later. And God promised, after the people had turned away from him and returned to slavery once again, that God would send someone to them who was like Moses and like David, 
who would save them. But this time his servant would be someone very, very special. He would be Emmanuel, God with us. God had done all that in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But most of God's chosen people had not recognized their Messiah in the day of his visitation. Even Saul of Tarsus, one of the best educated and most religious of all the Israelites of his day, at first had failed to recognize the Messiah. Without the miraculous intervention of God on the road to Damascus that Paul considered to be on par with the Easter resurrection appearances of Jesus to the other apostles, Paul would have never come to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. It is clear in his words to the Romans that Paul was deeply pained by the fact that Israel as a nation had not accepted Jesus as their Messiah. Now this fact has been used by Christians and other people throughout the centuries in some very, very unchristian ways. Christian kings have used the rejection of Jesus as reason to persecute the Jews. The Jews have been blamed for everything that has gone wrong on our planet. Hitler used this as an excuse to exterminate the people in the Holocaust. And the KKK here in the South used this as a reason to burn crosses in the yards of Jewish Americans as well as African Americans. One of the ways that we can avoid anti-Semitism is to seriously hear what Paul has to say to the Romans. That God has not forsaken or unchosen his people. He has not revoked the special calling that is theirs. Look at Paul's words about God's chosen people. Just because they did not receive Jesus as Christ as a nation, does that mean that now God has rejected in kind all of his people? Are they no longer his chosen people? Has God revoked their calling? Absolutely not, insisted Paul. How could anyone even suggest that? Paul offers several things as proof of this fact. First of all, Paul and most all of the first century Christians were also Hebrews. How could it possibly be that God had turned against his chosen people when so many of them had and continued to accept Jesus? People forget from time to time that it was the Romans and their governor Pontius Pilate who executed Jesus. And that it was only a handful of Jewish religious leaders who cooperated with the Romans to accomplish the crucifixion. The vast majority of the laity of Israel loved Jesus and appreciated his teachings. These devastated Israelites lined the Via Dolorosa in, in, uh, in Jerusalem and wept as Jesus passed by carrying the cross. But all of the first century Christians were Jews. And although the nation didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, very, very many Israelites did. And then in every age since then, there have been many people from every ethnic background who, um, who have accepted Christ as their Messiah. Since this is true, 
God could not have possibly rejected any of his children, Paul said. Not Jews or Arabs or Chinese or slave-trading Englishmen even. For this reason, we Christians must always be as loving and winsome of all people because we never can tell when our act of love might result in someone's salvation through faith in Christ. Uh, dear saintly Methodist preacher that I was so privileged to know, and you all heard him, some of you folks have been here a long time, Reverend Enoch Finkley. Enoch never served a big church. When he retired, he had four little congregations down in Pelion. Anybody know where Pelion is? You better be going there if you want to go there. But probably no other Methodist preacher ever spoke to more people, more Methodists, and more churches in South Carolina than Reverend Enoch Finkley. Often when he went on revivals and preaching assignments, a man followed with him and traveled with him that Enoch introduced as his associate pastor. That man was a jeweler from West Columbia who was Jewish. That sounds a little bit like stereotyping, I realize. But this Jewish jeweler never abandoned his synagogue, but he loved to travel with Enoch Finkley to hear about the love of God given to the world in Jesus Christ. As long as these sort of things are happening, Paul would argue that this is proof that God has not turned against anyone of his people. The second reason that Paul cites is the fact that God never breaks his promises. Even when people break their promises to God, God does not break his promises to us. We may forget God, but God never forgets us. God does not rescind our call. We United Methodists might have a little trouble with the idea of once saved, always saved, but it's very clear in the Bible, once called, always called. God doesn't take it back. Moses ran from God's call when God called him to lead Israel out of Egypt, but God didn't take back the calling. He kept pounding on the door of Moses' heart. No matter how much Moses protested, I can't speak well in public. I stutter. I'm too weak. I'm scared. God said, you're going, Moses. Jonah ran from God, and yet the first thing God said to this prophet after the big fish took a big heavy dose of Ipecac and uh, threw Jonah up on the beach, God said, uh, Jonah, like I said before, go to that great city Nineveh and tell them to repent. Okay, Lord, I guess I'll go now. The Universal Church of Christ, Christians, have not always believed or behaved correctly. We taught in the Middle Ages that people could buy their way to God. If your money was big enough, you could buy forgiveness. We turned a deaf ear 150 years ago to those who called on us to abandon the practice of slavery and our Christian sons even died in unbelievably high numbers defending our rights to own slaves. But in spite of that, God never said to the church, I reject you, I rescind your call. God just perfected the church or moved us in that direction. God has not revoked his call to Israel either. 
Then Paul, who had already told the Romans that God works mysteriously in all things for the good of those who love him, now finds in the failure of the Israelite people to accept Jesus as their Messiah a marvel, a mystery. God had managed to use that failure as a wonderful strength. God had given Jesus to the entire world. Jesus was meant to be everybody's Messiah. Who would have thought that the failure of the chosen people to receive their Savior would be that open door that God needed in order to take the good news to the whole world, to the Gentiles? Now Paul stopped short of blaming God for the failure of his people to accept Jesus as if God had somehow blinded them to the truth. But he did praise God for using the temporary blindness of his people as an open door through which to bring the, Israel, the uh, Gentiles to faith. In a similar fashion, we don't blame God for the bad things that come our way, do we? But we thank him that he can use even the bad things in life as sources of blessings to us. Finally, Paul seems to believe that God could use even our basest of instincts for his glory. Things like envy and jealousy. He spoke once of trying to live in such a way that made his enemies jealous because jealousy just might make people look more closely at Jesus. In the last verses we read today, Paul says that just as the Gentiles had once felt like outcasts and that had made them desire salvation, so now Paul hoped that the feelings of being left out would cause the chosen people to come to the place where they might desire to belong to God through faith in Christ. It is a truth, you know, that people who are like the prodigal son, who have wasted part of their lives and their reputations by means of reckless living, those are the ones who understand salvation and grace more easily than the rest of us. Certainly more easily than the elder brother who never did anything wrong, that elder brother in the prodigal story, prodigal son story, could not understand grace at all. The prodigal father's greatest hope for the self-righteous elder brother was that he could do something that would make him understand love and grace, even if the elder son had to learn these things the hard way through rebellion. If being on the outside looking in had led the Gentiles to faith in Christ, then maybe now that the, that the chosen people were on the outside looking in, maybe they too would come to believe in Jesus. In fact, Paul says, God has put everybody in a precarious position, binding Jews and Gentiles alike, binding them over to disobedience, so that all people will be in need of his grace then God will have mercy upon us all. Regarding that verse, God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all, I was reminded of a popular folk song way back, way back in the 1960s that was written by Leonard Cohen and performed by many singers, including one of my favorites, Neil Diamond. It's not real obvious what this song is about. I never have figured it out. But it has a very, uh, very interesting second verse that seems to echo Paul's idea 
that we've been all given over to disobedience and placed in a precarious position so that we might understand grace and mercy. Here's what that song said. Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water, and he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower. And when he knew for certain only drowning men could see him, he said, all men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them. All of us will live our lives upon the sea of disobedience where we learn of our need for forgiveness and grace and salvation. And when we learn that Jesus is our Savior, then the sea of troubles that we have been living upon will have served the purpose that God intended in our lives. The sea will be that which gives us freedom from sin, for it leads us to faith in Christ. God has given you, me, the church, and Israel an irrevocable trust, a calling to be his people. And that calling will never be rescinded because God isn't one who ever gives up. God is indeed the hound of heaven, as proclaimed by Francis Thompson. God's grace is rare and relentless, as contemporary gospel writer Derek Webb tells us. God has always used his chosen people, and he is still doing that today. And he will always do that until that day comes when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Now I invite you to stand as we affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Please be seated as we receive our morning offering and worship God. You guys know this one, so sing with us. Oh, baby. 
Nothing but the 
is all my hope and peace Nothing but love This is all my righteousness Nothing but love Oh, precious is the flow Makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. in peace this week to serve God with the knowledge and the memory that God never gives up on you. His call to you to be a follower of Jesus is irrevocable and unending. Go to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Amen. And God will raise you up Have a great week. <laughs>